today being Palm Sunday, we're breaking into our normal series is, so it'll be the triumphal entry this morning, the widow's might, uh, the giving of the poor widow tonight, and then it's getting better, isn't it? We're moving towards Good Friday, uh, the cross, and then Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day. This is the best week of the year. And we are going to take the accounts of the triumphal entry of Jesus from the Gospel of Matthew, because this has got the greatest of details. It is found in all four of the Gospels. And I've got three things to say about this. And then after saying those three things, we will sing another Palm Sunday hymn and be done. The first is this. Jesus Christ is sovereign. What does that mean? He is in complete control. He is king, and as king, he is sovereign. Unlike our present king, who had to cancel his trip to France, because of events there, Jesus Christ wasn't at the whim of circumstances. He is in complete control. Why am I saying that? Well, here, after long last, his hour has come. So even in the Gospel of John, as we've been looking at that, and in the other Gospels, we're constantly being told that Jesus did not reveal himself as he could have as a king to the people because the time hadn't come. Again and again, he hides himself, as it were. But now, that's about to change. Uh, the Rubicon has been crossed as Caesar crossed that little river, and then there was no turning back. So now, a line has been crossed and Jesus, as the one who's in complete control, is about to reveal himself as the king. I find this an amazing event. Uh, he has been traveling from Jericho. We were in Jericho on Wednesday night in the prayer meeting. Jericho's on the plain, and he's traveling 2,500 feet up to Jerusalem. If you've ever been to Israel, you will know that Jerusalem is in the hills. And if you go by coach, as people tend to do these days, from Jericho to Jerusalem, it's just one long hill. And uh, Jesus Christ is uh, not traveling by coach, but walking. And it's an uphill uh, route to the capital city. And he is going all the way, isn't he? He's going all the way to Mount Calvary, where he is going to be the sacrifice for our sins. And on his way to Jerusalem, he tells his disciples, and they're very near the city. So this is a bit of geography for you. I'm sorry, I can't resist. As a former geography teacher, he was going to approach Jerusalem from Bethany. 
So if you come from Bethany, you will come eventually to the top of the Mount of Olives. And when I did that trip, uh, we visited a nice cafe near the summit of the Mount of Olives. And then you get that famous view of the city and of the temple. And he would have gone down from the Mount of Olives, down to Gethsemane, and then entered the city. It's a glorious entry into uh, a, a, a mighty uh, city, God's city. And as they're approaching Bethany, only a couple of miles outside of Jerusalem, Jesus tells his disciples, this is why he's in control. You are going to go to this place, and you're going to see a donkey there that hasn't been ridden before, and you're going to tell the owner, our master has need of it. And you know what? He's not going to refuse. He's going to give it to you straight away. Wow. He has predetermined what's going to happen to the minutest of details. That's why he's sovereign. Now, the paradox here is even more amazing because Jesus Christ had come from eternity. What's eternity? Eternity is outside of time. So if you draw a line, if I drew a line on this pulpit, don't worry, I'm not going to, but if I did, that's time, the beginning of time, the end of time. Eternity is outside of time. And in eternity past, before the world was created, before you and I were on the scene, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, they planned that there was going to be salvation for us. There's a mystery here, but this is what the Bible tells us. And from eternity, Jesus Christ was going to come in time into this world. And that's what happened 2,000 years ago. So he came in order to do one thing, to die for you and for me. So that had been planned from eternity, right? And now, he's only here for 30 years, 33 years maybe. And now, he's about to reach that crux. He's only a week, well, five days away from the cross. And he's even planned the minutiae of what he's going to do. This loosing of the donkey. I find that amazing. As you know, I'm taking a sabbatical in the summer, after long last. And it's only now I'm beginning to plan what I'm going to do on sabbatical. And in a few months' time, I'll be on sabbatical. But I'm not going to plan now the minutiae, am I? But imagine God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in eternity planning even this. You can't help but worship, can you? This is our God. And then there is another example of his sovereignty here. Uh, we're taking this from John's accounts. By this point, the religious leaders had had enough of Jesus Christ and they were planning to kill him. But they didn't want to do it on the Passover. So Jesus was traveling with all the other pilgrims to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. That was the biggest feast of all the Jewish feasts. And the population of the city was going to triple. And the Roman authorities were going to be on their guard. So the 
the whole city was going to be in a tumult. And the Jewish leaders, they were plotting to do away with Jesus, but not on the Passover. They didn't want trouble on the Passover. But do you know what Jesus is doing? He's so planning everything that it's going to happen on the Passover. There's a saying, isn't there? Man proposes, God disposes. King Jesus, and like King Charles, is in complete control. And he's about to show the world that he is king, that prophecies are going to be fulfilled. Do you know what prophecies are fulfilled here? Uh, Matthew tells us, Zechariah's prophecy, verse 5, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, the donkey that's going to be loose, that's never been ridden before. The king has use for him. He's going to ride on that donkey from Bethany into the city. Those words from Zechariah written 500 years before. 500 years before. And then there's another uh, prophecy that's being fulfilled. Psalm 118, composed by David, even hundreds of years before Zechariah, Hosanna, to the son of David, the crowd crying. Psalm 118, we started with that psalm. And then there's another prophecy that's being fulfilled. I don't know if you're familiar with this prophecy. In Genesis, when Jacob uh, was uh, blessing his sons, when he blessed Judah, he said this, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Shiloh is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And to him shall there be obedience by the people, binding his donkey. Isn't that interesting? Binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colts to the choice vine. That is centuries before, David. Can you see, my friends? Jesus Christ isn't just a human being. He is that. But he's God. And he's not some fairy, airy-fairy kind of divine being. He's in complete control. And at the moment, he is in heaven. There's a man in heaven. And he is seated on a throne. And all power and authority in the universe has been given to him. Have you bowed the knee to him? Is he your king. So that's my first point. Jesus is king. He's sovereign king. I came across uh, Mal Martin. Have you heard of Al Martin? A very powerful preacher. He used to refer to King Jesus. And I like that phrase. King Jesus. Is he your king? Then the second thing I want to say about this is this king isn't just sovereign but he's unlike any other king because he's lowly. Now, that's quite a combination, isn't it? Uh, there's a more modern hymn which says meekness and majesty combined together. Meekness isn't weakness, but it does mean uh, you stand back. 
You don't always exert your authority. And majesty, meekness and majesty. Another hymn, a modern hymn says, this is our God. What kind of king is he? Yes, he's sovereign, but he is the servant's king. The servant's king. How do I know that? Well, the Zechariah prophecy says, tell the daughter of Zion, that's the church, behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey. Have you ever come across any other king sitting on a donkey? Yes, I have. King David. Before King David, the kings would use horses and all the kings of the surrounding nations would ride on horses because a horse is majestic. Have you seen, well, of course you've seen a horse, but have, have you seen a horse in action? I grew up in Chepstow and I didn't go to the races, but there's a race course there and have you seen horses galloping? They're majestic, aren't they? Have you seen a Shire horse? Uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones apparently uh, used to marvel at Shire horses. You would be brought to tears just looking at a Shire horse in all its grandeur. A donkey isn't quite like that, is it? I can remember riding donkeys on the beach. Donkeys are not majestic. After King David, King David rode a donkey, the kings went back to horses. Well, things weren't very good for Israel, were they then? <laughs> so Jesus Christ isn't into pomp and circumstances. He is coming to Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And do you know what? Even more striking, it's a borrowed donkey. A borrowed donkey, the one who is the ruler of the universe, who owns everything, borrows a donkey. Where was he born? He was born in a borrowed stable. When he's going to be buried, whose grave is he going to be buried in? Someone else's grave, a borrowed grave. What a saviour. What a saviour. I don't know what the Romans did of this triumphal entry. They were probably making fun of him. If a Roman general was making a triumphal entry into a city after being victorious, do you know what he had to do? He had to kill at least 5,000 enemy soldiers. And then there'd be pomp and circumstances. You've seen them, haven't you, in some of the films. Uh, the Roman general and behind him all the plunder of war, all the prisoners of war, and they'd be riding into the arena, wouldn't they? And there the poor prisoners would be the gladiators fighting the wild beasts and they would be put to death. This is so different. There's no pomp and circumstance. There's a crowd, yes. But this is so different. This is a willing crowd. And Jesus Christ is riding not to destroy, but to save. And King Jesus is riding to an arena but not a Roman arena, but to the arena of the cross. And yes, there's going to be a sacrifice, but it's not people that are going to be killed. It's one person who's going to die, and that person is the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. All these things are coming together in God's providence. This is the Passover. The Passover was remembering uh, the 
redemption, the rescuing from Egypt. And in order that people might be delivered from the angel of death, they had to sacrifice a lamb without blemish. And then each family would put the blood of the lamb that had been sacrificed on their doorposts so that when the angel of death came, it would pass over that door. And now the Passover lamb has come and he has to die on the Passover doesn't matter what the religious leaders may plan because they're not in control and he's come triumphant and his triumph is going to be in his death do you know where the triumph of jesus was at its highest it was on the cross at the exact moment the devil thought he'd got him jesus christ cried out it is finished done the work that saves. Today, Satan's empire fell. Sin, death, hell, all trodden under foot. And you know what? As a result of Jesus' death and resurrection, 5,000 people caught like the Roman army killing 5,000 enemy, or more than that. In a few weeks' time, 3,000 people are going to hear about Jesus dying for them, and they're going to be caught, aren't they? They're going to be converted. How many people have been caught in the nets of the gospel of grace since then? Thousands? More than that. Millions? More than that. Billions? Billions upon billions. And where is the Roman Empire now? It's ruins. It's very well worth going to Rome, but it's ruins. Where is Jesus' empire now? Still growing. We're not aware of that in the West, are we? Because in the West, the church is in decline. But in many parts of the world, the church is growing, my friends. The church has grown more in the 20th century and now in the 21st century than at any other periods. Jesus is still riding by his Spirit with the gospel going out. And hearts are being transformed. People are being saved. May you be saved if you're not. May this church be a place where Jesus rides. And he rides by his Spirit into your heart, into my hearts. What a king. What a king. Don't judge by appearance. I don't know if you're new to this church. I don't know what you make of us by appearance. We're, 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 we're well, I have to be careful what I say. <laughs> we're, we do things quite simply, don't we? There, there's nothing flash here. Uh, we sing praises, we pray, we hear God's word read, and then myself, Andy, or Nathan tries to open the word. And we have baptisms and we have the Lord's Supper. And maybe you're thinking, so what? Don't judge by appearance. Look at a horse and think, ah, yeah, that's spectacular. But Jesus says, I'm not riding a horse, I'm riding a donkey. Have you seen donkeys? They can't, what do donkeys say? They can't even, they do a funny noise, don't they? Bray, is it? Something like that, I don't know. Chesterton wrote a wonderful poem 
about a donkey. Have, have you heard of C.K. Chesterton? He wrote the Father Brown stories. He also wrote about a donkey. Do you know what he said? He didn't say very kind words about a donkey. He said, with monstrous head and sickening cry and ears like errant wings. The ears are just all over the place. The devil's walking parody on all four-footed things. Well, I don't think a donkey would like to hear that. The tattered outlaw of the earth of ancient crooked will. Starve, scourge, deride me. I am dumb, but I keep my secret still. And what's your secret, donkey? Do you know what my secret is? You may look good. You may have all the success, but fools, for I also had my hour. One far finest hour and sweets. There was a shout about my ears and palms before my feet. I had the king of kings ride on me. That's all I want. What do you want for us as a church? I'm talking to those who are believers. Do you want glitch? Do you want worldly success? Or do you want Jesus to ride upon you? Don't you want Jesus to ride into this church? Don't you want Jesus to ride through those doors? Don't you want Jesus to ride from the pulpits, from pew to pew, from heart to heart? That's what we long for. That's what we call revival. And then one last point. What's your response to this king, this servant king? What was the response of the people? Hosanna. Do you know what the meaning of the word Hosanna is? Save, Lord. Save now. That's the most important prayer you can ever pray. It's only one word in the Hebrew. Hosanna. Have you ever prayed the Lord to save you? Jesus Christ did not come into this world to set an example because who can follow him in that sense? We're all failures, aren't we? Jesus Christ came in order to save and once we are saved by him, then we follow him as our example. Oh, may every one of us here know what it is to cry from our hearts, Hosanna. And once you've asked Jesus Christ to save you, it's a prayer you will never stop praying. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Help, Lord. Save, Lord. May salvation come to you this morning. We don't save ourselves. As I said to the children, Jesus Christ did the work that was necessary. It cost him everything. We come to him with nothing in our hands and we say to him, Lord, save me. I'm a beggar and beggars can't be choosers. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. I'm like a donkey, Lord. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain, fly. Wash me, Saviour, or I die. There's no other answer. But if you are saved, what's your response? Look at what the disciples did here. So the donkey comes, 
Jesus, what do they do? Let's read the account. So the disciples, verse 6, went and did as Jesus commanded them. Are you doing what Jesus tells you to do? That's the Christian life. It's so simple. And then what did they do? They brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on them. And this is what I want to emphasize. And they set him on them. What did they do? They set Jesus up. That's what the disciples did. And because they set Jesus up, it's like a football team. Uh, I'm a nominal supporter of Everton, but I don't think Everton are going to be doing this at the end of the season. A successful football team, if their team has won uh, the cup or uh, whatever other tournaments there are, you can say uh, from my comments I'm not into football. They set up, don't they? The player who has scored the winning goal or the um, captain, they set him up, they carry him. And this is what they're doing with the Lord Jesus. He is manifesting him now as the king. And so they set him up. And as the uh, donkey with the Lord on its back rides into Jerusalem, a crowd gathers and they lay their clothes on the ground. They take palm leaves and they lay those uh, on the ground. Oh, my friends, shouldn't we be surprised at the state of the church in the West that Jesus Christ isn't riding triumphantly as he used to? Why isn't he? Because what are we doing? We're not setting him up, are we? That's what the church did in times of revival. Yes, God is sovereign. By his Spirit, he comes. But when there's a blessing, Jesus is set up on high. In the account in John, soon after this account, you have the Greeks coming to Philip and asking him one question. Is this your question when you come to Heath? Sirs, we would see Jesus. Have you come here to see Jesus this morning? Not physically, but with the eye of faith. That's what me, Andy, and Nathan are here to help you do. We want to lift him up. May this church be a church. May other churches in Cardiff be churches where Jesus is set up. Set him up on high. We were going to sing this morning, crown him with many crowns the king upon his throne do you feel like a donkey what use can the lord have for me i'm so pathetic he had use for a donkey he can use you he can use me as long as he rides us does it matter and when you Say to the Lord, not just save me, but Lord, use me. It's not great gifts, but it's great grace. And the grace to just say to the Lord, here am I, here am I. Do with me as you would have me do. And you know, when Jesus rides you, he will take you to all sorts of places. It's the pursuit, isn't it? The pursuit of God. What a life the Christian life is. Let me close. I saw this the other day. And it highlights what I've been emphasizing about Jesus, the servant king, and how we, his people, should be servant-like. There was a fictional letter, and it was from Jordan Management Consultants. Have you heard of them? Jordan Management Consultants, Jerusalem. And it was sent to Jesus, son of Joseph, woodcrafter, carpenter's shop, Nazareth. 
This is fictional, but it makes a very important point. It says, Dear Sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for management positions in your new organization. The 12 disciples. The organization is the church. All of them have now taken our battery of tests. We have not only run the results through our computer, but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultants. That's what these fancy groups do. It is the staff's opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in the background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do not have the team concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience. <laughs> and then they go on to mention names. Simon Peter, he's emotionally unstable <laughs> and given to fits of temper. Andrew, no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, sons of Zebedee, they have too much of a temper. Thomas, he's full of doubts. He'll undermine your team. We feel it's our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. <laughs> he's a tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, definitely have radical leanings. However, one of the candidates shows great potential. He's a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He's highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. We wish you every success in your new venture. Thank God. Jesus Christ didn't listen to that kind of advice. He's not like the kings of this world. My kingdom, he said, is not of this world. This is our God, the servant's king. Are you one of his followers? Have you cried, save me, Hosanna? And if you are, are you like a donkey, lowly, and only desiring to be ridden by Jesus. And can you say, yes, this is our God, the servant's king, and we long to worship him, to bring our lives as a daily offering of worship to the servant's king. For his name's sake, amen. Um, let's close by singing another Palm Sunday hymn. I think this is by our former pastor. Is it by Mr. Hyam? Yes. Who is this with joy approaching? 195 in the hymn book.
God has chosen the foolish things of the world and the weak things of the world and the base things of the world and the things which are not, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him, you are in Christ, who has been made for us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Now may the grace of King Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen.